0: We just finished up our, our first series of the year. Does anybody remember what it was called? Oh, that's right. Oh, O-H, Open Heaven. And I, I believe that the Lord spoke to us about living in a place where we're always open to, to hearing and receiving from, from the things of the Lord. Amen? We're starting a new series this morning called F-words that you can say in church, as opposed to maybe something that's said outside of church. But we want to take these next few weeks and really begin to sow some things into you, some things into your hearts, because the next series we're going into is, is strictly on evangelism. We're going to do six weeks on evangelism leading up to Easter because this house should be overflowing with people on Easter because we have the heart to go out and compel them to come in. So, my F word this morning is fusion. Fusion. The definition of that is to blend, combine, to become one. To blend, to combine, to become one. Now, there's some of you sitting out here, you're like really, really smart people. Don't come up to me after the service, please, and go, uh, Pastor Chris, that's not really the, the definition of, uh, of fusion, because really smart people wear glasses that slide down their face, right? That's not really the definition of uh, the scientific definition of fusion: Fusion is when the the protons and the 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 uh, the neutrons and and the Infinity Stone and the One Ring to rule them all, when all of that you know blends together and becomes an invitation to attend school at Hogwarts. That's fusion, right? And if that went over your head, you're too old. Sorry. I may not be using the scientific definition of fusion, but I am using the social definition of fusion. To blend, to combine, and to become one. And that is what we are called to do in the church. Taking our individual parts, our individual gifts, bringing them together so we become one. So since it is Super Bowl Sunday, I'll use uh, football to, to illustrate um, because football is awesome, right? Man, that was weak. Come on, guys. <sighs> and we're talking about football. We're talking about an American sport here. We're not talking about that Euro sport where they run around in short shorts and kick each other and lay on the ground like every time they get kicked, something is broken, Right? We're, talking about, we're talking about an American sport. When you get hit, you jump up as fast as you can. You go, didn't hurt me, didn't hurt me. You wander back to the wrong huddle, and you're in there, and the other team is looking at you going, hey, dude, you're in the wrong huddle. You go, I know. I just want to see what y'all were doing. Right? We're talking about an American sport. Notice he didn't say amen on that. An American sport. But the reason that I'm using football is because it really is the ultimate team sport. It really is. Whatever your favorite sport may be, football, all 11 guys have to be doing something each play. For those of you that played back in the day, you may remember sitting in film sessions where the coach would play it, rewind it, play it, rewind it, play it, rewind it. Anybody remember that? Play it, rewind it, play it, rewind it. And I was always fascinated watching. Every time the ball is snapped, 11 guys move all at the same time. They have to be doing something. There's not a play that you get to take off in football. All five linemen have to be doing what they've been assigned to do. The backs and the receivers have to be doing something. Even if it's what we call a play action pass, where the the quarterback is going to fake to the running back and actually throw the ball. I'm not losing anybody, right? That running back has to act like he has the ball, he has to sell it. He has to be doing what he is supposed to be doing, even if he's not the guy with the ball. All 11 guys. If 10 guys are doing something and one person is not doing what they're supposed to be, the play can fall apart. Somebody can get hurt. These guys may not even like each other off the field, but when they come together, these 11 guys fuse into one team for one purpose. You following me? All right. So what I'm saying is when we get together, we can accomplish more. One guy on a football field is not going to get much done, is he? See, they always talk about like in basketball, you know, Michael Jordan used to take over the game. But in football, all 11 have to be doing something. To get the the purpose done. And together we can do more. Psalms 133 verse 1. Psalms 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. Unity. The Hebrew word there means united, all together as one all together as one. It says brothers, but then they're talking about being all together as one. It's really the same vein of thought that we're taking when we're saying fusion. Verse two, it's like the precious oil or the anointing oil upon the head coming down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard coming upon the edge of the robes. Unity, fusion, combining, to be as one produces anointing. Anointing being the presence and the ability of God. Together, we can accomplish more. Pastor Sam and I were at a, a conference just a couple of weeks ago, and the speaker was talking about these certain kind of horses. They were called draft horses. I had never heard of them. Draft horses. They are bred to pull heavy loads. And individually, one of these massive horses could pull two tons all by himself. But when they hooked a second horse up to begin to pull the load, something amazing happened. You would think that if one could pull two, two could pull four, right? Even Aggies can get that, right? <laughs> two plus two is four. But they said that when you hook this extra horse up, that they could pull six to eight times when they were working together. Working together increases our ability to work and get the kingdom purposes accomplished. Singularly, we may not accomplish much, but we are powerful when we come together. saw a, a, a Peanuts cartoon. Everybody know what Peanuts is, right? It's not Snoopy. It's not Charlie Brown. It's Peanuts, right? So I saw a, a, a Peanuts cartoon the other day. And I thought this illustrated my, my point pretty good. That singularly, we, we can only do so much, but when we come together, we're powerful. And Lucy comes in and her little brother Linus is, is watching television. And Lucy comes in and she demands that Linus change the television, change the channel. And he said, what makes you think you can come in here and just demand that I change the channel? And she said, these five fingers. She said, one of them by themselves might not be too strong, but when they come together, they create an incredible force. And Linus looks at his hands and goes, why can't you guys get organized like that? Together, we can do more. Together, we can do more. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, tells us, let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's think of ways to motivate each other. Because I need motivating. You need motivating. We're called to good works without a doubt. That's why we're still here on this earth. And we should be inspiring and motivating each other to these good works. Now, if you will turn, that was all my introduction. If you will turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. This is where we're going to take our our, our scripture from today. Nehemiah chapter 2. Starting in verse 20. Nehemiah 2.20 says... So I answered them and said to them, The God of heavens, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Arise and build. Now, in the time of Nehemiah, the children of Israel were just coming out of a place of bondage. Because of their disobedience to the Lord, he had allowed them to go into a place of bondage. They had been carried away out of Israel, out of the promised land. They had been taken away. And for 70 years, they didn't live in their own homeland. But after 70 years, the Lord began to send them back. And they went back and began to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple But they had been in bondage. But the moment that they come out of bondage, what's their heart? To build. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life I have been in bondage. There have been places in my life where I have been in bondage. Now, they could have gone back to Israel and they could have seen how the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. They could have looked at the temple And they could have sat down and cried and whined about it. They could have talked about how bad things were. But their heart wasn't to complain. Notice it doesn't say that. I don't care what translation you have. New American Standard, King James, Rick James Version, it doesn't matter. Okay? It doesn't say they had a heart to complain. It said they had a heart to build. When we get free, when we get get freedom in our hearts and in our lives, we're meant to build. We're meant to sow into others. We're meant to call others into the same freedom that we have. Don't think, well, one of these days I will be free enough that I can do this. No, you're free. You're free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. If you've just given your heart to Jesus, when I first got saved, all those years ago, I didn't know a lot of the Bible. I didn't know a lot of things. I I didn't know what what verses I was supposed to, to quote to people. I didn't know the Romans road. I didn't know the four laws, those things that you're supposed to know to tell people about Jesus. All I knew was I had been broken and God had poured his love inside of me. Amen. That's all I knew. I didn't have to wait till I came to this complete place of freedom before I could begin to tell somebody about Jesus. I immediately started. That night, I got saved in the morning. That night, I was telling somebody about what happened to me. That night. There's enough in you right now. No matter where you are in your walk or in your relationship with the Lord. If you have a connection with Jesus, there's enough in you. To pour into somebody else. Already. Doesn't mean God wants us to stay right there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to grow. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to have more. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to to, uh, take in the word and know the word. But right now, right where you are, stop, stop waiting until, well... If I could just quote this many scriptures, if I just knew this, if this would happen in my life or you don't understand what's going on in my life. Let me tell you, if there is something going on in your life, one of the best ways to connect with the anointing is get involved in somebody else's life. Get involved in somebody else's life. Pour love into somebody else's life. Speak to somebody else about what God is doing, has done, will do in your life. Love somebody in the name of Jesus. Love them. In Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, then, Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated and hung the door. Verse 2 says, next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zacher built. This is what I want you to, to get out of there. You don't have to know what a sheep gate is. I don't know what a sheep gate is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I just butchered these guys' names. As I heard at that, that same conference, the preacher said, only person knows how to pronounce their names were their mama, and their mama's not still alive, so you just go ahead and throw it out there. All right? It says, next to him, one begin to build, and then next to him, another begin to build, and then another next to him beginning begin to build, and I'm gonna run through the rest of this chapter real quick, and I'm gonna brutalize these names, but it's okay. It says next to them, repair repaired. Next to them, mashulam repaired. Next to them, Zadok repaired. Next to them, the Tekelites repaired. Next to them, Malayatah repaired. Next to them, y- Uziel repaired. Next to them, Hananiah repaired. Next to them, Repaniah repaired next to them, Jediah repaired next to them, Shalom repaired and his daughters repaired. Let me stop there for a second. This guy and his daughters don't ever say, don't ever fall into that lie that taking your kids along to do ministry and to love people is somehow gonna warp them. Is somehow gonna steal from your family time, is somehow gonna be something adverse to your children. Because I've actually heard preachers say their biggest regret is not involving their kids more in the ministry that they did. Not allowing, Pastor Sam and I have actually talked about this, not doing more where our kids would see what it is that we do, not praying more in, in front of them. Let me throw this out there to dads. Your kids need to see you worshiping. That's right. Your kids need to see you in the word. I was not the perfect parent. You two be quiet. I was not the perfect parent. See, I just cut that off where they even got it out of their mouth. But there's one thing, there's one thing that you could ask either one of them. When they got up in the morning, what was dad doing? I was in the word. I sat at the kitchen table, and I was in the Word. And they saw me when they got up in the morning in the Word. Dads, your kids need to see you being a man of the Word. They need to see you building the kingdom. They need to see you being the man of God in the house. So don't think that you're stealing a moment away from them. Because they missed a baseball game or a soccer game because somebody needed to be loved. I'm going to be real, real out front with this one, okay? This is what's going on in life. It used to be that when I played Little League, you played usually on Tuesdays and Thursdays and sometimes Friday nights. And when you got into the playoffs, we played on Saturdays. There was never a thought you were going to play on Sundays. But nowadays, they play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sundays. I'm not trying to keep your kids from, from enjoying their childhood. I'm not trying to keep them from, from uh, uh, getting scholarships to school or any of those type of things. But there, there comes a time when we say, this is more important. And if my kid missed a baseball game... If my kid missed a volleyball game, if my kid missed a basketball game because we were doing the work of the kingdom, I don't think that God is going to let them suffer for that. Okay? Let's be people of the kingdom. Let's build together. Scripture goes on to say, after, after him, Nehemiah repaired. After him, the Levites repaired. After him, Azar repaired 25 times. It says in that scripture, next to or after them, 25 times. And they were all working on different things, different aspects. It didn't have to be all the same thing. Sometimes we fall into this, well, if I'm not the one with the microphone, I'm not doing something of any import. That's a lie. Because it starts with the priest fixing the sheep gate. But if you read it well enough, somebody down there was fixing the dung gate. Somebody had to do it. It's not the one that I'm running and volunteering for. But it says in there, somebody fixed the dung Gate. Sometimes we feel like that we get all the, the raw in. We get the bad job. But God's saying, I honor that. I honor that. 25 times next to or after them. 40 times it says they built or repaired. They motivated one another to good works. Right after, right after, right after. Motivating to good works. Motivating to good, good works. Motivating to doing and being the things that God had, has called us to do and be. And in Nehemiah 4, verse 6, it says, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, For the people had a mind to work. A mind. Once again, it doesn't say minds, a mind. They were together. They had been fused together in one purpose, for one purpose, to build the kingdom. To build the kingdom. We see this a lot, and I know that we use this term, but God. God didn't put us in the kingdom to be lone rangers. He didn't. If I think that my call, my individual call, because guess what? I do have an individual call. There are things that I'm called to do. There are things that God has spoken into my heart to do and to accomplish. But if I think that my individual call is more important than the collective call to build the kingdom, I've got twisted thinking. God models fusion for us. Three separate and distinct personalities, yet they flow and function as one. So much so, when we say the word God, we think singular, don't we? Right? But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are so connected and so move in unison and everything they do supports and backs up what the other one has done. That you can't see the difference between them. They're one. First Timothy 4.4 says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift that is within you. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Here in the church... The Lord takes our distinct and separate callings and He creates opportunity for kingdom life to happen. That's a great place to say amen. (laughs) If we ever feel that what I'm doing is unimportant, you've not grabbed the heart of connecting with God, connecting with others, and creating community. Because our, our, our greeters, when they stand at those doors, they're evangelists. When people come through, that's, that's the first impression that they have of New Covenant Church. They're evangelizing. They're showing the love of Jesus. They're showing the DNA of Jesus in this house. Our ushers are not just there to make sure that the doors don't clang in the middle of the service. They're watchmen on the wall. They're discerning, they're seeing. If you serve in the children's ministries, you're helping to pastor this up and coming generation of Christians. It's not babysitting. I expect my four-month-old granddaughter to be loved on in the nursery. Not just because she's incredibly, incredibly cute. But I want them to love her in the name of Jesus. We have curriculum in the nursery. They pray over those kids in the nursery. That is not just babysitting. We start from the very, very youngest, and we sow the Word of God into them. Why? Because in not too many years, she's going to be talking about Jesus. In not too many years, she's going to be able to say, this is what Jesus will do for you. And I want her to know it from the very, very beginning. So, sometimes there's, there's, there's gonna be tonight, there's gonna be some people that are very excited. I hope they don't live in Boston, but they're going to be very, very excited. And they're gonna jump up and down, and they're gonna scream, and they're gonna say, We won! But guess what? They didn't win anything. They didn't. They're not going to get a Super Bowl ring. They're not going to get a check for playing in the NFL. In fact, they're going to run out and buy a t-shirt or a hoodie or something. They're going to give more money to these people so they can walk around and say, World champions, we won. We won. But they didn't win anything. They're just spectators. They're just spectators. And unfortunately, we come to church a lot of times. And as much as we love you and we know that you love us, we got to be honest. We don't need more spectators. We don't need people just to fill the seats. I hope you understand that our heart is not just to have a house that's full for the sake of having a house that's full so we can look and say, Look, we've got 260 chairs out and they're all full. We've got to go to two services because we're really anointed. I hope you know the heart of this ministry is to serve to serve people so when people do walk through that door they feel love they feel accepted they feel like they have walked into a family reunion and we get that all the time it's the friendliest church I've ever been in but we don't want to just be friendly We want to move into a place of of really developing friendships. Because you know what? Friendly is you walked in here. Friendships is we're going to go out. I'm going to go to where you are. It's why we're doing evangelism. Sometimes in churches the word evangelism sounds like a dirty word. But it's not. It's the biblical way to build a church to love people into the kingdom. We want to be people that build. We want to be people that understand that there is kingdom work to be done and that you have a part of it. You have a gift. You have a talent. And if God has planted you in this house, we want to help you use it. We don't want to use you I know churches use people We don't want to use you We want to help you be who God has called you to be But sometimes we have to help you blow away the, the fog That just comes and sits on us I'm useless I'm no good I've been hurt I've been wounded God wants to blow that off that fog away because I've seen people that have been hurt I've seen people that have been hurt in churches God's always throwing a lifeline God's always throwing help to us but we gotta grab the rope we gotta grab the, the, the life preserver I've seen people that have been done terribly wrong And God healed them up because they grabbed that rope. And I've seen people that have been done terribly wrong, not trying to make any excuses for what happened to them. But they've kept arm's length from people. And they spent the rest of their lives being wounded and hurt and ineffective in the kingdom. Would you pray with me this morning?